the Business Buzz Podcast. The, the Business Buzz. Good evening and welcome to the Business Buzz right here on Vowe FM 88.1. We're broadcasting live from our studios right here in Bramfontein, Johannesburg. My name is Mdiwa Mob Justice Gavaza, and I'm joined in studio by my new partner in crime. Uh, I have Tlingiwe Zondo. Um, how are you, Tlingiwe? I'm good, thanks, Mdiwa. How are you doing? Uh, no, no, I'm all right. Some of you might recognize her voice uh, because she usually comes in here to do our Buffalo Index. Uh, but, you know, she decided that, no, listen... I'm here. Let's do this. Let's do this. So <laughs> she's going to be with me until about 7 p.m. And we're going to be keeping you live and entertained. And who's to say that the world of business can't be exciting and educational and can keep you intrigued. So what does the next hour look like? We're going to be talking about health tech. Um, how is uh, health being affected or disrupted by the use of technology? And how are entrepreneurs um, finding solutions for some of the problems that we we have in the health space. Uh, we're going to be having an in-studio discussion. Uh, we have uh, Nelin Kosile, who is from IMED Tech, together with Neo Hutiri, who is from Technovera. We're going to be uh, talking to them because they are both entrepreneurs in the tech space uh, that are affecting us, trying to make things better. You know, because health is something that definitely affects all of us in the world. Otherwise, uh, we're going to be also having our business wrap. That's a part of the show where we tell you the week's top trending uh, business and economics news. And then on the other side of that, we have our Buffalo Index. Uh, but you can keep in touch with us. How can people be talking to us out there on the social medias? Okay, awesome. So our listeners can join us in a number of ways, and yeah. these include our social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, WhatsApp, and for Facebook, they can join us on Vow FM, Voice of Vits, and at Vits Radio Academy. Yeah. And then on Twitter, our handle is at Vow FM, and our hashtag is hashtag Business Bars. So on our WhatsApp line, they can contact us on 084-078-4912, and they can also stream... Um, to the station live at www.vowfm.co.za and podcasts of the Business Buzz are available on www.vitsjournalism.co.za hash business yeah. and they must just make sure that they keep it locked until 7pm tonight. Okay, so you heard it. Make sure you keep in touch with us. Tell us some of your thoughts um, as the discussion is going. If any of you have actually come um, in contact with some of the innovations that we're going to be talking about, let us know there. Otherwise, that's how the show is looking. Make sure you keep it locked. This is the Business Buzz. More justice on the Business Buzz. This is the Business Buzz right here on VioFM 88 8.1. It's time for us to get into our business wrap. That's a part of the show where we give you the week's top trending business and economics news. And on the line, we're joined by our financial expert. We have Zanele Kunene, who is from BDO Wealth Advisors, to just give us a round up. How are you? How are you? Uh, um, how are you, Zanele? I'm good. I'm fine. Thank you. Um, so I understand that the MPC came out with the decision, South African Reserve Bank. What's going on with this? Oh, yes. Um, so a lot of the economists are saying that the uh, interest rate will remain the same, and they were right. Can you believe it? An economist <laughs> was right. <laughs> um, so our interest rate remained at about 6.5%, and that is so good because this year alone, you know, we've had the VAT increase, we've had the petrol hikes, and we're also having the slowly increasing inflation, you know, that has burdened a lot of us. So it's quite good that they kept the interest rate 
worried is so that, you know, we can, we could remain attractive to investors. And that was one of the reasons why it remained as it was. Um, I've noticed that the Reserve Bank hasn't really kept, hasn't really moved interest rates in uh, in a long time. Should we be expecting this thing to go up or down anytime soon, or for the foreseeable future, is this going to remain the same as is the status quo? Well, they will review it um, in 2019, um, but until then, they'll remain unchanged. However, you must always consider inflation when you speak about interest rates. So because our inflation is slowly increasing, um, in May we were at about 4.4 and now we're at 4.6. This is the headline consumer inflation. It does mean that um, as inflation is increasing, um, our interest rates will be affected and they'll have to review that. Um, next year, they'll have to review it if inflation continues to increase. But um, I must say this, um, the central bank has to keep, well, not that they have to, but they mandate, the objective is to keep inflation in the 3 to 6% bracket in order to like protect the, the value of the rand and also the purchasing power of all South Africans. So they'll keep it in that bracket. We, we can always start being worried if inflation is above 6% or below um, 3%. So with that in mind, I heard you mentioning headline consumer inflation and core inflation. What's the difference between the two and where are we at in terms of the stats? Alrighty, so headline inflation has to deal with, um, it measures the CPI basket. So it measures um, your your fuel, your food, your energy, is basically what you put in your grocery um, trolley. Your core inflation, that looks at things that are not that are not. Um, subject to volatility, like your maize meal and um, your fuel prices. So core inflation looks at the other areas um, of our spending. Um, so with core inflation, um, we were at about 4.4 in May, and now we're about 4.2%. So that decreased, and um, headline inflation is the only thing that increased, which means things are becoming a bit more expensive. Ah, oh, this is not good well, news. That's due to the fuel, you know. <laughs> so, in terms of uh, so, in terms of uh, all of this, um, what are some of the factors that we should be looking out for? Um, you've just mentioned the fact that uh, fuel is one of the reasons why inflation is um, up at the moment. What are the, some of the other factors that are uh, pushing this number up? Um, but when I was doing my research, I realized that fuel was one of the major reasons why our inflation has increased because um, that's one of the biggest spending areas for any family, for any um, yeah, for any person. That's one of the biggest areas we spend on, which is transport. Um, but in terms of the interest rate, I just want to let everyone know um, that if you have a student loan or a bond or um, any kind of a loan, just know your repayments will remain exactly the same. Um, and if any of your grandparents are, re- are receiving any kind of interest income, it will remain the same. The story would be different if the interest um, rate increased. So, yeah, that's a bit of a good news. <laughs> I just had to put it in there. So, in terms of interest rates as well, um, the U.S., uh, is it increasing their interest rates? I think that's an interest rate that the rest of the world really does watch um, because yes. it signals um, their appetite to actually um, invest in other countries or to just keep things domestic. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So, if they, if, well, not if, well, they will be um, increasing the interest rates. And that will mean that if they increase the interest rate, they make it really hard to borrow money from them. So a high interest rate is 
um, encourages investment but discourages borrowing. So for countries like ours, our emerging markets, it will be very hard for us to borrow money from from, um, the U.S. and they have the biggest, they are the biggest borrowers or the biggest lenders, I mean to say. So it will be quite hard for us as an emerging market to lend money from them. They would hurt our economy. Even when they made the announcement, you know, last week we were at about 13 rand 28 cents, and now we had like 13 rand 50 after this announcement. So it does affect um, emerging markets like the Turkeys and us when the USA um, decide to increase the interest rates. So that was us on the line. We're talking to Zanele Kunene, who is uh, our financial expert from BDO Wealth Advisors, giving us a roundup of the uh, week's top trending business and economics news. I think uh, the three main things that you heard her talking about is the fact that the South African Reserve Bank had their interest rate announcement earlier today, and they've decided to keep uh, interest rates unchanged. Um, The U.S. is said to increase their interest rates, uh, which could affect um, their appetite for investing around the world and the rest of the world's ability to borrow money from the U.S. And then you heard as well that headline consumer inflation and co-inflation data have gone up mainly on the back of um, the fuel price hikes that we've all been experiencing in South Africa. So that's it in terms of the business buzz. On the other side of this, we tell you the state of your 100 rand. Keep it locked. This is the business buzz. You're tuned in to the business buzz. It's time for us to get into the state of your 100 rand with our Buffalo Index. Klingewa, how are we looking today? We're looking good. We're looking good. So today we're going to be covering a few things. Since we're talking all things health, we're going to be looking at a few um, plans from medical aid companies. Yeah. We're going to be looking at three plans per organization. Yeah. The first one is Discovery. Yeah. And the second one is Bonitas. Yeah. So from the first one, we have a Bond Comprehensive, a Bond Classic, as well as a Bond Complete. Um, the Bond Comprehensive is a first-class savings plan that offers ample savings and above-threshold benefit and extensive hospital cover. And that will cost our listener 57 buffaloes which is 5,700 Rand. And then we, and under our Bond Classic, we have a generous, said to be generous savings option, which offers a, a wide range of medical benefits and in and out of hospital benefits. And that will cost our listener 40 buffaloes. The Bond Complete costs, um, includes a savings option as well as a, as well as a, a threshold benefit, as well as a rich hospital cover. And that'll cost our listener 32 buffaloes. Yeah. Now, moving on to Discovery, they have an executive plan, a comprehensive series, as well as a, a, a priority series. Their executive plan offers you the most extensive cover for hospital and day-to-day benefits with extended chronic medicine, which um, uh, which covers you know your chronic uh, medication and pharmaceutical products, as well as an ultimate above-the-threshold benefit. And then on the comprehensive series, oh, the first one will cost our listener 59 buffaloes as well. And then the comprehensive series is 36 buffaloes. And this is a comprehensive cover for in-hospital and day-to-day cover for extensive chronic chronic medicine cover, as well as an unlimited above-threshold benefit. And then the last but not least, which is the priority series, this is a cost-effective in-hospital cover. Um, an an essential chronic medicine cover and a day-to-day benefit, um, which also has a limited above-threshold benefit. And that will cost our listener 27 buffaloes. So which one for you is the most cost-effective? 
Yeah, I'm a student and a budding <laughs> entrepreneur. So yeah. I try to just cover the essentials. I probably would see myself from the priority series where I'm looking at 27 buffaloes because yeah, there's um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. <laughs> that first level needs to be security. First, security met first before I can look at you know the other levels. Which one would you take? Um, wait, the the one for twenty seven. Yes. Uh, which company was that? That was Discovery. And okay, fine. Yeah. I was gonna say I was gonna also take the Discovery one. Is it? Yeah. Do you feel Ma- safer there? I I feel safe there mainly because I feel like when you walk into a hospital and you say I'm on Discovery, they take you, you seriously. They take you seriously. <laughs> and also, I saw I had a very interesting experience a couple of years ago. I went to visit one of my friends, uh, in Cape Town. Yeah. Right. And then um, on one of the days. Uh, I was with one of our other friends and she had a mid uh, a clinic appointment mm-hmm. right we get there and as she's doing the the thing um she brings out her medical aid card and she's told listen we can't help you because your medical aid shut down Two days ago. Oh no! And and she and she didn't know, right? I That's the worst thing that can happen. Yeah, and I, I won't name the name of the, the medical company. aid company, but yeah. it was actually imagine you, you're there, you're about to get into an appointment, and you get told that your entire medical aid, whatever you've paid for, it doesn't mean and anything. And you've been anymore. paying premiums. Exactly. No, that that would that would definitely be terrible. So yeah, that's tough. As you heard, we are talking about healthcare um, and uh, technology and how all of that is coming together to actually make our lives better. On the other side of this, we in- get into our main topic, and we're also going to be having a studio discussion. So keep it locked. This is the business buzz. You're tuned in to the business buzz. Welcome back to the Business Buzz right here on VAL FM 88.1. We are talking um, health and tech today on the Business Buzz. And in studio, we are joined by some uh, entrepreneurs that are going to be telling us about how they're disrupting um, the health space. But before we get into all that, we wanted to understand what the health and tech space looks like from a broad uh, macroeconomic point of view. Uh, but before, as I said, before we get into all of this, remember that you can keep the conversation going. Tell us what you think. Um, if you have come up with a way or if there was um, a procedure in hospitals or in the healthcare space, for example, that you wish uh, would be improved by the use of technology in some way, let us know. On Facebook, we have VowFM, that's Voice of Vits. And then that's uh, you can also find our own Facebook page. We have the Vits Radio Academy, uh, that's on Facebook. And then on Twitter, that's at VowFM. And then our hashtag is hashtag business buzz so uh for us uh, to begin we are joined on the line uh by prof stephen uh, koch who is uh from uh, the head and professor of economics with the department of economics at the university of pretoria how are you prof Oh, I'm doing quite well. How are you? Oh, fine. Thank you. Um, as you heard me um, introducing, we just want to understand what um, where South Africa is in terms of uh, the economy around health and tech um, at the moment, perhaps in comparison to the rest of the world. Are we actually using technology or are there ways that we could improve this? So I guess as a point of departure, uh, could you tell us what South Africa's um, economy is looking like at the moment and how technology could possibly um, disrupt the space? You mean the entire macro economy? Yes, please. 
Uh, well, as I suppose most of your listeners know, the, the economy's not in the greatest shape, uh, unlike a number of other countries around the world where growth seems to be picking up and jobs seem to be uh, becoming more available. Uh, this is not really the case here. So from an economic point of view, we've still got a little bit of work to do. Hopefully things are getting better. I think I don't really have the latest figures, but I do feel like things are getting better. Um, so I am looking forward to better growth for the rest of the year and, and uh, for the next few at least. So from a health point of view, um, what does, uh, how much of a, of a, of a strain uh, or, or of a burden is uh, health care on our economy at the moment? It depends on sort of which set of figures you look at. Um, so the government likes to point to how much money they spend on on uh, public health care, and you know there's also the argu- the discussion around NHI where where you know it's quite unequally distributed. So uh, a small amount of individuals in the country uh, are using up about half of the overall expenditure on healthcare itself. So the, the first thing to note is that it's, it's fairly skewed in terms of how it is used. Um, in practice, so you would probably find that in most other countries, uh, but that would more, more likely be because of illness. So you would find that it doesn't take all that many uh, people in a society to expend quite a bit of money just because of all of the procedures and all of the care and so on that, that they require. Um, you know, if you watch something like Grey's Anatomy, you'll see extraordinary amounts of money, at least in principle, being spent on on small uh, small groups of people. Um, but you know, so, in that sense, uh, health is that's one side of the health story. Sorry, the other side of the health story is 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 really how it affects workers and and their ability to to partake in a full day's work, or even take care of their family, or enjoy life even um, and that's that's a place where we are struggling um, we have high levels of TB we have high levels of, of obesity um, which are not even particularly well they're fairly preventable uh, sorts of problems and you know, so in that sense health is, is actually taking quite a bite out of out of the economic potential here um, perhaps lastly, very quickly, before we then continue um, with our entrepreneurs in the studio, do you feel like um, healthcare as a cost on our economy should be something that uh, private individuals should be concerned with? Uh, because we know that from a public economics point of view, it's considered um, a part that a large uh, majority of the healthcare sector is considered to be a public good. So therefore, the government is the one that funds a lot of healthcare. You spoke about NHI. So should we be looking to government to be the one to be providing um, healthcare in the country, or is it the space for private enterprise to actually be um, coming in providing those services? Well, I think uh, the first thing to note is that we just, the public, sector, at least currently, and probably for the foreseeable future, and maybe forever, is never going to be able to provide all the health care that might be potentially demanded. Um, and so what we need to do, I think, is find uh, find ways of providing health care better, um, cheaper, hopefully, 
Uh, oftentimes that can be done with technology, but not always. And um, find, find you know, I've already said it, that uh, efficient ways to deliver health care to people that need it. Uh, find ways to help them clean up their environment so they're not exposed to the kinds of things that make, make them ill. Um, a lot of those things are also technological in, in their focus. So there's, there's plenty of space, in my view, for, for, thing, for people not involved in government. And in fact, if we want to think more carefully about how the economy is going to grow and, and where it might go in the future, uh, the more private uh, enterprise we develop, the better. Uh, government can't sort of depend on, on a, a flow of revenue if people aren't creating opportunities for other people to work. So it's, it's a necessity that, uh, that more people are involved. So, as you heard right there, we're talking to Prof. Stephen Koch, who is um, the head and professor of economics at the Department of Economics at the University of Pretoria. As you heard right there, I think a big takeaway, uh, he's saying that government will never be able um, in its current state to provide completely uh, for the health care of the people um, in a particular country, specifically in South Africa, and that uh, private individuals and the private sector have a big role um, that they can play. On the other side of this, we are going to be talking to a certain and such uh, private individuals who have taken it upon themselves to come up with solutions to some of the nation's big healthcare problems. Keep it locked. This is the Business Buzz. More justice on the Business Buzz. Welcome back. This is the Business Buzz right here on VOWFM 88.1. We are talking healthcare. As you heard, we were talking to Prof. Steve Koch, who is from the University of Pretoria, just giving us an overview of what uh, the health sector actually looks like um, as a as a portion of the economy and who is actually responsible um, for providing health care in South Africans considered to be a private good but he is an advocate that as private individuals we should be doing more uh, to actually make everything better and I'm actually joined in studio uh, and on the line uh, I have uh, Neo Hutiri who is from uh, Technovera who is here in studio with us uh, he's going to be telling us a little bit about his business uh, because today we're doing a bit of a live discussion so let me start by saying um, Neo how are you? I am good I'm good I'm good thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much and then on the line I'm also joined by uh, uh, Nelly Ankolise who is from iMedTech how are you Neo? Um, I'm good, thanks, and you? I'm fine, thank you. So, uh, very quickly, I'm just going to first allow uh, Nelly, please could you just tell us a little bit about uh, IMED and how you got into the sector and um, the innovations that you're working on at the moment? Uh, Okay, IMED is uh, a company that creates uh, medical prosthetics and bio implants. Uh, we usually try to define ourselves using a simple thing to say that um, all of us as human beings we are temporarily abled. And for us to be disabled is just an episode. So IMSF wants to make a uh, solution post the episode that leads to disability, whether it's via traumatic accidents or uh, illnesses such as diabetes or cancer. 
So the reason why we started the company was because we were seeing a high percentage of people who were affected who lost pressure for the past due to a lot of times were people due to cancer and traumatic accidents that we made at hospital during the time when I was doing my academic research into the applications of additive manufacturing into the healthcare. So, uh, I mean, as I went on with my studies, I started realizing that this cannot be just a case study that's done for research purposes. It has to be turned into a business so that the impact could be amplified and reach a lot of people. And then, no, how uh, talk to us about Technovera. <laughs> so, Technovera was born out of a mission, um, very much a personal one, of um, wanting to enable patients to access chronic medication fast without spending hours and hours in queues. And um, how it started was very much um, in 2014, I was diagnosed with TB. Yeah. And um, I was collecting medication like millions and millions of South Africans. Um, and the we always stuck with that one view of when you enter that clinic and you see that queue and your energy just goes down because <laughs> you know that you're in there for a while and um, if you are on chronic medication and you are spending time um, on a queue when you're just supposed to be managing your treatment and that starts to become a barrier for you to say but do I really want to subject myself to this so I was one of those patients I was on a treatment for six months and um, I was facing this challenge of spending three hours in a queue and we then set out to say, but okay, so how can we actually shorten this queue? How can we get somebody in and out of a facility yeah. um, without spending hours and hours? And what role can technology play um, in that? So we we almost set out to solve that problem for ourselves. Um, um, I, I would say that I'm a very, very difficult patient. I, I want things my way. And the idea was to say, how can we get somebody in and out of a facility in under a minute oh, wow. um, instead of you know five hours in a queue or sometimes a whole day yeah. and I think it's it's it's, it's a challenge that affects a lot of us who are reliant on the public on the state um, um, side of things I mean we, 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 we you guys chatted earlier in the show about some of the costs that we have to pay on a monthly basis to be on medical aid and yeah. um, the reality is that we still have a fairly an equal society yeah. um, in terms of access and um, there is a lot of focus um, on other markets but we thought that how do we make sure that an average South African who still deserves good service, still deserves access to their medicine can still be served and Technovera was very much um, on the premise of that. How can we use technology for social good yeah. and how can we build um, systems that respect our people, that are quite authentic and that are um, um, speak to what we need yeah okay i'm gonna bring uh nelly in here very quickly because uh you spoke about research earlier on and uh Nell was now bringing in the idea of costs and the question i wanted to ask both of you um uh, because you're both um have products that uh, you've developed and are producing is how much 
in terms of the cost itself of research and development because we hear that in the pharma industry for example um, that it takes a billion dollars for example just to bring uh, a drug to market so for you in uh, prosthesis and um, in terms of technovera like what are those costs like because I'm sure there are listeners out there who are saying to themselves I have an idea and I want to bring it to market but I am afraid or I feel like I don't have access to that capital so one how have you tackled that and two what are some of the um, channels of funding that you have used I'm gonna start with Nelly um, you know, the, the last thing research is a very integral part of what we do every day. And I mean, in the net tech industry, the biggest chunk of the budget, uh, as you plan for long term, has to always be in R&D. And I mean, I was lucky enough that um, I was part of an institution of higher learning yeah. where they had dedicated funds to research through the support of the Department of Science and Technology institutions such as TIA. Um, so, I mean, I got to get some opportunities in that for me to do research and to discover if I, I could be able to build a strong business case. That's why whenever you want to build a business such as this, you always need to attach yourself with institutions of higher learning because um, you need people to support you not just in research, but uh, this is a very capital-intensive business that you do. So you can never just thrive on your own. You always need the support from institutions that either have the resources like equipment or they have the brain work, such as professors who have been in the um, industry who understand the ins and outs that could mentor you and support you. Now, are you also of the mind that attaching yourself to a um, institution of higher learning, for example, is the way forward? How how did you do this thing? So, I think they're different parts, right? Yeah. And uh, mine is a little bit um, different from uh, Nelly's one. So, mine started with being able to say, let me just get out of the door and go figure it out as I go along, right? Yeah. And I think you talked about somebody who's sitting and saying, I want to do something and not want, not and being very, how can I say, challenged by the mountain that they have to climb. Yeah. And we started off looking at who are the right partners in the system um, that we could affiliate ourselves with. So, for instance, the person, the organization or the entity that funded us um, right at the beginning was the um, the Innovation Hub. Yeah. And the Innovation Hub is saying, look, we're looking for young entrepreneurs that are out there that have brilliant ideas um, that are looking to figure out how to commercialize them. Yeah. Um, so I, I agree with her when we talk about that mode of saying, find Big Brother, find somebody who's out there who is able to give you a little bit more guidance and is able to fund you uh, for that initial journey look it's the same as you when you start off with anything there are going to be learning challenges there's going to be a point where you say but how do i figure out how to make this thing work in this particular way and as long as you always find somebody to ask and you find somebody who can say but hey i need to raise this amount of money where else can i raise it who's funding healthcare right now who's funding um who's funding devices for healthcare and there are people who are able to share that information out there that are able to say let me point you to tia because tia is looking for 
for um, X, Y, and Z. I mean, you're starting to see the rise of social impact-driven businesses. And um, on top of that, you see programs like Red Bull Amapico. You see programs like the Innovation Hub, um, where everybody's saying, how can we help entrepreneurs actually um, get to that second stage? Um, I, I, I don't think that the R&D conversation should be something that holds us back. Um, I think... It, 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 it's up to us to push ourselves to say, but what are the levers that are out there? Who else can I participate with or collaborate with yeah. um, to be able to get this first version of my solution out there? Yeah. Okay. I have uh, one more, you know, quick question. Uh, I'm going to individualize these questions um, because okay. speci- one specifically for Nelly and one specifically um, from Nell before I hand over to, um, you know, Hleng I know she's got things that she's itching to ask. And the first one I'm going to ask is uh, to Nelly, in terms of getting your product from, from you, uh, you do prosthesis. So in terms of uh, the people that are in need uh, of, uh, of what you produce do you deal directly um with uh with patients or do you supply to let's say hospitals for example and then they're the ones who then interface with um the patients or do people come to you directly do you go through um medical aids for example how how do you actually um get your product from where you are to the patient Okay, so what we do is, um, in terms of marketing, we market directly to the patient yeah. because we want the, more than just selling the product, we want to educate the patient. So we feel like when it comes to marketing, we need to talk to them uh, directly for them to start understanding and for us to build a relationship with them. But we need to, we also understand that we can never just directly take a product from our our warehouse and take it directly to the patient. We also need to work with medical specialists, uh, particularly work with oncologists and um, prosthetists who then take the product to the patient because we have an understanding that as much as we want to educate the patient, there has to be someone in the middle who has to take more care of the patient and make sure that the prosthetic suits well, uh, the patient responds well to the prosthetic and does a, a longer program of checkup. So um, usually so our products to medical specialists and for state patients, we go to hospitals, being government hospitals where we work with certain um, nurses or social workers who do with the patients. And the other thing of the model that we have built is that we have now created a community of understanding that there is this giant, um, I mean, bigger than just doing the product, what are we trying to solve within the product? So for our first product, which is breast prosthetics, it has more of breast cancer. So we have built this community with medical care specialists and also with some organizations such as the Dito Project that helps you reach funds for to get our products and give to patients. To see how then can we start communicating breast cancer to people for them to start understanding that the disease that's there, how it needs to be managed and how people need to undergo mastectomy on time for the cancer spread. Hmm. So, 
No, I, I, and I like the I like the answer that uh, Nelly gave. You know, she's just highlighting the fact that yes, you can do things on your own, but it's good to have partners in place that will you know sort of help you to you know advocate on your behalf that actually it's a good product. Uh, but for you, now something I was interested to know is. In terms of uh, dispensing of drugs, right, um, in pharmacy, I think there's something that they call lost point of contact, which is which tends to be the pharmacist, right? Um, you're, sort, you're not cutting, you're sort of, depending on how it's done, the sort of that interface with the actual pharmacist um, is, is sort of eliminated. So what happens in, um, in cases where I know that um, for certain... You need uh, for certain types of drugs and treatments every once in a while. Yes, it's a repeat. Uh, there can be a repeat pr- uh, prescription, um, but every once in a while, the pharmacist needs to actually check to see um, how is um, what's it called? How is the patient actually reacting to the medicine? You know, all of that stuff. How does that work? And then, lastly, what schedule sort of drugs are available through um, through your method? Yeah. Okay. Um, so you want the good drugs. <laughs> um, anyway, I, so how it works, our solution is a smart locker that we put inside a clinic yeah. um, or a different facility. Yeah. And um, if you can think of the post off the post boxes with yeah. like a center ATM in the middle. Yeah. Um, so typically we take pre-packed medicine, we load it inside, it then sends an SMS saying, now your medication is ready for collection at Mamilodi Clinic, here's a one-time pin. Yeah. The patient then would go to the clinic on the day of their collection with that one-time pin. They'd go to the self-service kiosk or ATM for medicine. Um, they'd enter their cell phone together with their password. It authenticates them. It then pops open a compartment that has their medicine inside. They collect and they're on their way. Mm. Um, as you rightly said, it's primarily for repeat patients that are on a repeat chronic medication script Mm. Um, typically a script would be about six months long Um, so for the first month you're effectively seeing a pharmacist they're explaining to you what the medicine is how it works what are going to be the side effects and what you can expect Um, and chronically stable means that you've been on the same treatment for a while the treatment is already responding um, and you just have to be on it if you think if you can think about somebody whose viral load is suppressed is suppressed from an hiv perspective Mm. um, they just need to still be on arvs perpetually right Um, so but they don't need to see you every day because every month because they've been they've no how to take their medicine over years or months um, of treatment. In that particular case, that contact is actually not required because you are going to see that person six months again. Um, But what we did is we said, look, let's take a people-centered approach. We know that some people might not be initially comfortable with this. So let's put the locker inside a clinic um, in such a way that if you really, really do need to speak to somebody, there's somebody just right there. But the value proposition to the patient is saying, hey, there's five hours in a queue but there's 36 seconds right there so imagine and when people talk about impact right we talk about these 10x um sort of multiples but when you take somebody from five hours in a queue to less than 36 seconds um that is way way beyond a 10x that's literally starting to say but how can technology really significantly change how i access my medicine obviously you then layer that conversation a little bit higher and saying what else is possible at a clinic level Mm. and 
you have to remember that the people that we are serving, those are the people that whenever somebody launches a new app, they want to launch it in Santon first. You know, you don't <laughs> go into Ekasi and yeah. start over there. So for us, it is very much about being able to say, um, how can we empower people to see what technology can do for them? Um, but I think a second layer to your question now about the drugs. Um, so we focus on a... We focus on multiple drugs, so it will be your ARVs, hypertension, gout, TB, diabetes, um, type 2. So it's a set of different sort yeah. of conditions that we um, treat for as long as there's a repeat pattern to it um, and the person is chronically stable within that. Um, so we work with the Department of Health and that Department of Health then creates a list of what medicine can actually go through the product. Um, we have to control the temperature internally within the lockers. Yeah. Um, so there's a bit of IoT there. <laughs> um, and then obviously... Going into further development, we're looking at um, some form of interaction on the screen itself where there could be a very quick three questions, how are you feeling, anything that you want us to check, and then creates an alert for somebody saying, you know what, the patient currently at the locker needs a little bit more attention. Mm. Can you check out there? And that, those are very simplistic ways of how technology can play a significant role uh, within a healthcare setting. Um, still very much understanding that there is a human contact needed within a health service, but also saying but we can supplement that and also from a benefit perspective of saying but here's government being able to think about alternative ways of providing service yeah. and I mean government is our biggest partner so we work with the National Department of Health City of Johannesburg and City of Tswane and we're now starting a relationship with the Eastern Cape Department of Health um, and what what that, that whole ethos of always saying but there needs to be partners in each and every layer. So we don't, um, I mean, we have a tech company that be, that's behind the product, but there's still the nurse who gives us insights about how we need to think about developing the new features that are going to be, that are going to come onto the product. So there's, and I mean, we've been blessed um, primarily through the relationship with City of Tswane um, and City of Johannesburg now um, to be able to have access to people on the ground who have extensive knowledge about treatment, about people, about humanity. And I think health has that whole strong focus of humanity that you can't build tech without making sure that the humanity is literally overimposed um, on the unit itself. Okay, awesome. So I have two interest points that I want to touch on. Um, the first is the actual health of the entrepreneurial ecosystem itself. And then the second touches on exposure. So and I'm, I'm, I'm going to start with uh, Nelly on the line. If you can just kindly just tell us what has been your biggest uh, market entry challenges and what can, be over, what can be done to overcome these in order to encourage greater participation in the tech industry? Um, I mean, one of our biggest um, market entry challenges is that um, the medtech, the I mean, the medical industry is very, is highly regulated. So, I mean, for one to ever get to a point where you have a product in the market, um, you have to go through so many hurdles, licensing um, of either your product. It has to undergo so many tests, and it's one of the things that makes it quite challenging. But one of the things one of the things I always say is that we need to look at a way on how we need to support entrepreneurs, uh, particularly those who are product developers. And by solely creating a community on how we can be able to market their businesses and channel and channel a stronger marketing for them to reach the end user, their target customer. Because it's something that's very challenging to a whole lot of entrepreneurs that I interact with, where they say, I have a good product, 
Um, I understand my customer very well, but for me to go vigorously and get to my customer for them to understand my message and my product or service is very difficult and very expensive. So we need to sort of create a support system in between that where entrepreneurs can know that yes, I've created something and it to be easier for me to get to the next level. Because a lot of times we find that entrepreneurs say, I need funding, but it's not funding that they need. They just need someone who gets to spread a word about what they do and help with marketing strategies to make sure that they reach their target customer really well. Thank you so much. The importance of a marketing strategy. <laughs> Neo. Take I, it away. I think I'll just compliment that, right? So um, I think this this theme of partners keeps on coming up. And um, so I'm an engineer by background and um, very good with the technical stuff, with the product and so on. And I remember when we named our product, we called it Medicube. Um, and when you get into a clinic and somebody's like, what is Medicube, right? And I, I kept on thinking about how... Like, I feel like we got our naming wrong. We got our product um, description wrong, right? And I remember, like, how how we got help with that. So, for instance, when, when we looked at the entrepreneurial ecosystem, we said, who in the system is helping people with marketing um, and can we build a relationship with that? So we then identify that, hey, but Red Bull is one of the biggest marketing companies or biggest events company. Um, yes, they sell drinks too. But <laughs> at the same time, they're saying, hey, we have a social program called Red Bull Amapico. Um, we effectively set out to help entrepreneurs um, with other areas. And I was like, but here's somebody who can help me build my marketing strategy um, as an engineer. Here is people who are good at events, at launches, and all, all, all of these other things. And I know, and I know it sounds non-healthcare, but it's very much about, from an entrepreneurial perspective, being able to say, let me really authentically look at what the ecosystem looks like, who in the ecosystem is doing great work, um, what component of that do I need? So if it's marketing, you go to Red Bull. If it's let's say funding for technology development, you go to the innovation hub or you go to TIA. If it's scaling, then you know that, okay, I go to CIFA or let's say um, the IDC. And then, you know, so it's it's that sensitivity of saying, but what does the ecosystem look like? And let me not just close my eye and say, I'm in a clinic, I'm in healthcare, but saying, but hey, there are people out there whose sole mandate is to help entrepreneurs become the best version of themselves. And how can you actually tap into that? Awesome stuff. So there were a number of names that were mentioned there for our listeners, ranging from Innovation Hub, TIA, CIFA, IDC, that you can do further research into that. But our last question um, for the evening, in just one minute, Nelly, if you can just tell us, that, I mean, we first met um, in San Francisco at uh, a Global Entrepreneurship Summit. If you can just tell us the importance of global exposure and how it has helped you and assisted you in terms of positioning your brand, and then Neo can tell us a bit afterwards. Uh, I mean, the nice thing about global exposure, particularly when I spend time in San Francisco, where I met you, um, it's more of, we don't build a global perspective on business development. It's so easy that when you are in one place building one thing at your place where you were born and grew up in, that your level of thinking becomes limited. So when you expose yourself, uh, you then look at possible ways on how you can globalize your brain. Then you at so many environments that you can do your brain, that you can also learn from and bring back into your company for it to, to grow. Um, I mean, 
when we do, when we talk to entrepreneurs right now is to say, don't just look at building a business for the small space you are in. I mean, looking to becoming the Fortune 500. And you can only get that exposure of understanding the Fortune 500 when you're being in such environment um, and getting to interact with different people who build a strong networks with different entrepreneurs from different environments. And there's so much value of walking the journey with people from different environments who share the same experiences as you do because you then get to create collaborations. I mean, you can collaborate with anyone around the world to best build your business who bring different ideas. And it's something that strengthens your business case. Thank you so much. The importance of collaboration. Neo, I met you uh, when you were on your way to an international trip yourself. Um, there's Israel, there's Boston, there's been so many different places that you've been to. Tell us about the importance of those of that global exposure in your brand positioning. So, remember... We are challenged by the world to compete as South Africans, right? And we were having a conversation about black excellence um, a while back. And I keep on thinking to myself about how there's always a requirement to represent um, wherever you go. And there's that Tumani Mina, you know, sort of narrative that we go out there and carry as entrepreneurs. But I, I also have to agree in that there's a requirement for us to also push our perspectives and challenge ourselves to think bigger um, and, and, and think wider and think about how we can actually participate um, as a global or in the global space as an economy. So one thing I liked about Israel, for instance, um, very small population, but the whole ethos of how they build innovation is so that it is consumed by the rest of the world. So you don't build for your local community, you build for the world um, to actually just say this is really, really great. And I think that mindset change of saying, yes, it's important to have a South Africa first approach, but for you to be a really, really great entrepreneur, your product needs to carry across multiple um, geographies and economies. Um, and it, your, your product has to almost be South Africa agnostic um, and be globally relevant um, so that you actually do carry that ambassadorship of a South African brand product and um, to be able to position that globally. So... Thank you so much uh, to Neo uh, Hutiri and uh, to Nelly and Kolise, who are fr- who are both uh, entrepreneurs. Uh, Nelly is from IMED Tech and Neo is from Technovera for you know just being with us in studio and on the line and just discussing what it means to be a health tech entrepreneur. On the other side of this, we come to the end of the show. Keep it locked. This is the business buzz. The, the business buzz. We've come to the end of the show. Uh, thank you so much to everyone who was uh, listening to the show. Um, thank you to uh, Nelly Nkolisa, who is from IMED Tech, and also to Neo Chiri from Technovera for just sharing in the experiences. Klingiwe, your takeaways uh, from tonight's discussion? So many different takeaways. <laughs> you know, because in all honesty, we think, oh, capital, 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 but then there's so much more in terms of, you know, like different routes that we can take in terms of uh, starting up, and uh, the highlight for me was on partnership and collaboration, and uh, yeah. yeah, marketing strategies, That I think that was the highlight for me for tonight. 
Uh, cool. I think that was also a very big theme, the issue that you cannot be attacking this mountain on your own. Uh, you definitely need to strategically place yourself. And in terms of those strategic partnerships, I like what uh, Neo was talking about, that um, if you were to think of uh, what Technovera does and what Red Bull does, they seem so diametrically opposed. Uh, but when they're able to just, you know, bring their efforts together, you know, you're actually able to actually... You know, use one of the biggest marketing companies, uh, or find one of the companies that markets the best in South Africa mm-hmm. and actually, you Just know. Just happens to sell drinks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and actually use some of their expertise to actually then learn from and actually then, you know, push your project for uh, your your project forward. So that was a very big takeaway for me. But otherwise, I enjoyed it. I did too. Yeah. So you can tell us what you think, you know, uh, tell us what you, what you thought about our discussion. Um, if you've ever interfaces, interfaced sorry, with any of the businesses uh, that we're talking to, if you know uh, Neo or if you know Nelly personally, let us know um, on social media. So on social media, Facebook, we have VowFM Voice of Vits and uh, Vits Radio Academy. On Twitter, it's um, at VowFM and our hashtag is hashtag the business buzz. WhatsApp is 084 and you can also stream live on www.vfm.co.za. And our podcasts are available at www.vids.journalism.co.za slash business. Okay, cool. So that's it in terms of the show. Uh, thank you to our amazing team, our executive producer, Elna Schutz, together with our technical producer, Kutluano Serame. Don't miss the business bus, same time, same place next week for more insight into the world of business. Next up on the Vow FM lineup, we have Life Beats, so definitely make sure you don't turn that down. For myself, Mulio Mob, Justice Kavaza, Lengi Wezondo, and the rest of the team, it's good evening and take care. Mob Justice on the Business Buzz. Listen to the Business Buzz every Thursday from 6 to 7 p.m. Only on Power FM. The Business Buzz Podcast.